100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Anthony Twan Dickman, former Navy SEAL, Kurt Martonic, gunsmith, and Drew Carroll of Seek One. We recently completed the Guardian Precision long-range shooting course in Alabama and sat down to talk about the takeaways from the course, how Twan's SEAL team background has helped him in tough situations, how consistency leads to accuracy, dealing with high-stress situations, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a story coming from Pennsylvania from Al Burke. And I had to summarize this a little bit. It was a really, really good story, but it's a little bit too long to to be able to fit in this. So I'm, I'm going to summarize a little bit of it. But such a such a great story here from Al, and and uh, love the the family aspect to as well. So in the summer of 2022, we got some pictures of a huge, unique buck on camera. We couldn't believe our eyes. He had three drop tines and at least 17 points in August. We thought we were dreaming when we checked the camera card. After showing my brother-in-law a photo of the buck, he immediately said that thing looked like a bushwhacker, and the name stuck. Bushwhacker, he was called from then on. In mid-November, while bow hunting, he showed up at 30 yards in the brush right in front of my 16-year-old son, Dustin. He appeared at a bad angle and could not get a shot at him. I nearly jumped out of my tree stand when I got his text. We couldn't believe this buck was still around. Dustin had another opportunity at an eight point only a couple minutes after seeing Bushwhacker, but thought it was best just to take his phone out and video the smaller buck. That was the only time that we saw him on that two day hunt. Now came the hardest part, convincing my wife to let Dustin and I go up to again to the farm for the opening morning of rifle season two weeks later. She decided I could go only if I took almost all the kids with me. I was up for the challenge. We have eight children and my wife stayed home with our youngest of five months and my oldest daughter. I took the middle six children with me. They were so excited to go up and have the experience to hunt at our family farm. On opening morning, all of a sudden, I heard a snick snap. I turned my head and see a buck with his nose to the ground. I whip around and put the rifle on my shoulder. As I look in the direction of where the buck is, I don't see anything at all. Then out of nowhere, I see a buck coming out from behind a tree with his nose to the ground at 40 yards. All I know is it looks like a legal buck with some mass. I immediately see him buckle and start snow plowing the ground after the shot. I immediately call my son, who is in the stand less than 300 yards away from me, and tell him I just shot a buck. I followed the trail for only 40 yards and found the buck lying there. As I walked up to him, it was unreal. I see stickers and points sticking out in every direction. It hits me immediately. It's Bushwhacker. I yelled to Dustin, and he came running. We head back to the house to get all the little kids and go right into the woods and surprise them. They were all joking that I had probably shot Bushwhacker. And sure enough, there he was. The expressions on their faces when they saw him were so cool to see. Some of his drop tines had been broken off, but that didn't matter. It was those moments I was privileged to spend with all six of my children as we dragged Bushwhacker out of the woods into the field is it's a time I will never forget. Well, that's a pretty awesome story, Al, and just an incredible, incredible deer. I mean, for Pennsylvania especially, for but for really anywhere in the country, and uh, for that to be able to happen like that and 
just a really unique, cool mountain buck. And uh, for anyone who wants to check it out, uh, head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. And you can see the photo of this buck along with the story as well. So head over and check that out. If you have your own Mountain Buck Monday story, send it into my email, boateastmeetswesthunt.com. Just a couple paragraphs and two, three, four pictures, whatever you have available. Would love to be able to share it with uh, the rest of the audience here. So thanks for everyone that's been submitting them up to this point. All right, another news just quickly. I am, as of the day of release on this, I am heading to Alaska. So I'm heading out and I will be... Uh, I won't be able to respond or get any texts, calls, anything for the next couple of weeks as I'll be moose hunting in Alaska. And I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, I appreciate the patience on getting back to you there. Orders on uh, the website. So all the apparel orders, everything like that will still be going out. Maybe slightly delayed, uh, won't ship, you know, kind of the same day or two as, as normal, but I do have someone helping me out with that while I'm gone this time. So I, I appreciate that. And also I have a special kind of promotion there. I'd shared a little teaser on Instagram, um, about a month ago where I had some custom East meets West hats done on Sika subalpine hats and Sika elevated two camo pattern hats with a, a really cool um, leather patch that was done here in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, they, they turned out really, really good. And so what I'm going to be doing with these hats is I'm not going to be selling them. I'm going to be giving them away. And uh, all the details are over on the website. But essentially, you get a free one. You get free East meets West sick a hat with any order over $60 off of the website, not including shipping. So if you prefer subalpine or elevated two, just make sure you put that in the order notes. And uh, if not, I'll just send you uh, whatever one comes out of the box first, but uh, uh, really excited for these. They turned out really, really good. And uh, yeah, but they're available now. So by the time you hear this, you can head over and, It'll only go for as long as supplies last. Um, I'm also holding some back for some other different giveaways and stuff, but uh, they turned out awesome. So thanks everybody for for being a big supporter of the podcast here and everything else that uh, comes into this. So I hope you enjoy this and I think you'll really like this this podcast with the guys at the Guardian Precision Shooting Course. And if you want to check them out, go over to Instagram, Guardian Precision, and uh, give them a follow. Have a great rest of your week. So we have uh, we have a kind of a special podcast here. It's going to be kind of a collaboration with Seek One, little and, tag team, little tag team, and uh, East meets West. So kind of doing a um, yeah, I guess a collaboration podcast here. Yeah, it's, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable because I really wanted to distance Seek One from the East meets West brand, basically <laughs> of who you are. But I mean, we're kind of stuck in the situation, so we'll roll with it. Yeah, yeah, you really didn't have a choice here, Drew. <laughs> we only have so much time, and I figured that, uh, you know, we could join together. Because, honestly, I really don't want to be combined with, you know, the suburban deer hunters either. Yeah. Posers? The, yeah, the high-fence hunters. <laughs> helicopter hunters. Hel- helicopter Which, honestly, hunters. these uh, relationships we've built this week are really going to come in handy. Because I feel like these guys probably have Apaches and Blackhawks on speed dial. So. Yeah. It's yeah. going to bring the bucks in a lot faster for us. Yeah. 
Well, let's kind of go around here and uh, <laughs> introduce some of the guys we have here. So, so we got Drew, obviously, from Seek One, and then we have my brother, Kurt, that uh, has been on the podcast before, at least on my podcast before. Gunsmith, works for Spartan Forge, kind of the whole the whole gamut there. Does all the cool things that Bo doesn't do. Yeah. If you, yeah I'm just going to totally derail this whole podcast. <laughs> where it's probably a bad idea to bring me on. Yeah. Plays on. guitar. <laughs> Play, yeah. Has an amazing voice. <laughs> better shooter. It's, yeah, no. Oh. Yeah, no, definitely not a better shooter. <laughs> well, that part. <laughs> that part, yeah. Uh, and then we have our friend Anthony Dickman, otherwise known as Twan. Twan. Is yeah. that, can we go by Twan? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, Tuan, welcome to the welcome to the show here. It's been uh, it's been pretty cool. We're we're in Alabama, um, going through a long range shooting course um, through Guardian Precision, which is uh, your guys' company, and uh, to be able to go through it. So that's yeah, pretty excited to to go through it. We're just finishing up the day two and kind of completing that. Yeah, no, it's been well, more like day one and a half. Yeah, the, the weather's been rough. <laughs> Yeah, pretty, uh, took a little bit for all of us to get here. It did. It did. Everyone's flights got delayed and bad, bad thunderstorms, but I feel like it was realistic conditions because it's pretty rare that you go out and hunt. In the, it's yeah, just we, shot, we shot a so. lot in the rain today, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that was, that was, that was pretty awesome to be able to see that. And yeah, so we got, we got derailed. Apparently Atlanta just had some bad storms and we couldn't come, come in and it was, uh, it was kind of cool to watch how you guys adapted to the the whole situation it's just kind of like i mean i'm sure with as as we'll get into a little bit but as you know your profession that you grew up doing um in the seal teams and being able to do that adapting to situations and just figuring it out you, you know you didn't get rattled You're just like all right we'll mm-hmm. just adapt and figure it out and poor josh ilderton from the untamed josh josh in like six days to get here <laughs> But if anyone's gonna make it make it here, it was him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just ended up ended up hitchhiking all the way down here. I'm pretty sure he did too. <laughs> I think there was, it felt like there was a lot of days that passed in like a couple of days because oh, it yeah. was like yeah, for sure what should have been five or six hours of travel turned into staying overnight in hotels, and for Josh, even more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It took him it took him quite a while to to be able to come here, but um, so I had met Tuan um, through a mutual friend, and um, we yeah I got to spend a little bit of time hunting with you and the past and stuff, and getting to learn a little bit about you and and when you guys came to me about doing a course, you know you you grew up. I mean, did you grow up hunting? I did not. I did not. I didn't start hunting till I came into the Navy. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. No, see, so so and of you, all places, I started hunting in Hawaii. That's an awesome place to start hunting. Yeah, it's a target-rich environment. Mm, yes and no. What what part of Hawaii are you from? Well, Where I, were you in? Well, I was on Oahu. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What did they have access to your? Not goat? on Oahu. No. No, on Oahu they had hogs, um, goats. Yeah. Like wild goats. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know a few birds, pheasants, chuckers, stuff like that. So I started hunting hogs and goats basically yeah yeah Fer- feral animals so we went and hunted lanai last year we hunted lanai for access deer and then we went over to the big island yeah and didn't really plan on hunting goats it was kind of like a last minute thing like we had some extra time and we had hunted 
axis deer than pigs. And then we had like two extra days. So we were like, okay, I guess we should hunt goats. And we've been driving around the island and seeing just like just piles and piles of goats yeah. up in the lava fields. And that ended up being like the most fun hunt of the entire trip. Just like going up into that black, crazy black rock. It was literally like you're hunting it's on a, like it's an actually, asteroid. Yeah, it's actually a pretty tough hunt. Yeah. Cause even so even on odds. Oahu, which isn't, it's not, you know, the train isn't super hard, but it, it's still, it's still a pretty tough hunt yeah. to hunt those feral goats. And the goats are, the goats are an introduced animal to Hawaii that are eating um, the native plants and, and destroying the native habitat, basically. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, year-round season, kill as many as you want to kill type of thing. There's plenty of them. Yeah. That's for sure. No. I mean, I think I, we were hunting one spot, and it was it was actually a abandoned golf course on the Big Island. But it, most of it was like lava field, and there had to have been like 300 of them in a group out there. It's wild. How many did you get? Uh, I killed two off of that place, and then the day before I killed one off a different place. But I mean, we like we actually had to catch a flight. We ended up. I got on the flight, and I still had like goat blood and just reeked of goat <laughs> getting on the plane. And we like all we barely barely made the flight. But I mean, you could sit up there and just pick them off. It's it's honestly like really really good practice for an off season deal. Yeah. Just you get so many stalks in, and just you know. There's so many targets that if you blow one stalk, you can just go to the next one and and uh, hunt fresh animals. Yeah. So, did you get any access here? We did. We uh, so we took the bows with us. We were trying to kill one with a bow and spent the first couple days shooting at access deer with our bows. And it was so when we went, apparently it's typically very windy, and so you have like that sound cover and that that movement cover of just like the the I guess the lantana is what they call it out there just moving and it's easier to stalk, but it was bone dry and dead still. And so every time we shot, the deer were just gone before the arrow even got there. Hmm. So ended up breaking the rifles out on the third day and we both shot, shot bucks with the rifle. Nice. Um, uh, I've hunted the axis deer out there, but I've never killed one out there. Yeah. Yeah. They're hard to kill. Yeah. I heard that they're, then they're super jumpy, right? Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, they just, they get hunted day and night. 24 7 365 on lanai from guys that are going out there on outfitted hunts and on like those the man there's people that just do management they just shoot them because there's too many of them yeah. basically so but yeah it's a it's a cool place oh interesting so yeah you, you talked about like a little bit how <coughs> you know you didn't grow up hunting but you kind of started doing that in in hawaii but Talk a little bit about, if you would, Tuan, just kind of about your career and kind of how you got to this point. And, you know, it's so doing there's, I don't know, I feel like there's a bunch of different courses out there and different things as far as shooting goes. But I, what I thought was super interesting in, in what you guys were doing and what we experienced here over the last couple of days was just that you had so much experience as a sniper in the SEAL teams, you know, what, over 30 years of experience. And then, and just being able to have that kind of experience and training over so many years and then becoming an instructor and then also having hunting experience and all these different things to be able to apply it. And, you know, your idea kind of behind the course and everything that, that 
we're doing and other people have the opportunity to be able to do is is essentially to be able to shoot effectively out to 600 yards but you know be able to make you better at at closer distances as well but kind of wanted to hear it that was kind of a long way of hear a background on you and kind of how you got to this point in your training and everything okay um so i grew up my, my father was in the army so i grew up pretty much all over the world um lived um lived in germany korea my mom's half korean um, all over the South, you know, different army bases. Uh, my dad retired in, uh, 79, 80. So we, he decided to move to Colorado. So we ended up in Colorado, went to high school in Colorado, went to the university of Colorado for college and then, uh, enlisted in the Navy in 1991 and went to buds, uh, graduated from buds. And my first team was, um, it's called seal delivery vehicle team one, which is the mini submarines. My actual first school that I went to was sniper school. I went to sniper school as a brand new guy, which um, pretty unheard of back then. I mean, there was there were guys in the teams for for years wanting to go to sniper school that didn't have a chance to. And I'm a brand new guy, show up to the team, just walking down the hall, and somebody's like, "Hey, you want to go to sniper school?" I was like, "Oh hell yeah, I want to go to sniper school." <laughs> So anyway, um, back then, sniper school was um, it was a West Coast sniper school and an East Coast sniper school. Uh, now there's only one sniper school for NSW, but back then the West Coast had their own. So I uh, went to sniper school as a new guy and pretty much got beat every day for going to sniper school as a new guy. I mean, there were dudes that were not happy that I went to sniper school as a brand new you know guy that just showed up to the team. But anyway. Um, Went to sniper school, did a couple of platoons at SDV. Um, so I started out in Coronado with SDVs, and then the whole team moved to Hawaii, and that's how I was in Hawaii. Uh, and then from there, I went to SEAL Team 4, and then SEAL Team 8, and then uh, screened for uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group, got accepted to, to go through the training, made it through the training, um, Stayed there for, you know, 14, 15 years and then left there to go to the training detachment, which trains the East Coast SEAL teams. And I retired in 2021. So I had, I had 30 years. Um, I just want to kind of express, like, my my perception of just getting to know you in the first 24 hours of meeting you. I know it's kind of like a, a sticky situation being a SEAL and then kind of going into civilian world and like trying to figure out like, what do you do with all these skills that you've developed yeah, over these absolutely. 30 years? And it's, I know that it can kind of give yourself this stigma of like, I don't know if selling out is the right term, but it can, it can kind of have that perception, I guess, in the teams. Yeah. And I've just been extremely like appreciative and impressed of like, how you guys have been just silent professionals. Like you probably didn't want to go on the podcast. Like you don't like you guys are extremely humble, just getting to know you guys for just a short amount of time. Um, and I, it's, it's, I don't know if I have, like, I don't have a good uh, perspective just being like a regular civilian, but from my perspective, like you guys have put in the time, like you've made the sacrifice, you serve our country and you've developed these skills over all these years. And like, it would be honestly, I, I, as I just think it's like almost your duty to to pass on these skills to guys that want to take yeah, a course yeah. like this, and it's yeah. you'll probably catch some flack for, from some guys that may be on the teams, but like I can just tell that both of you guys are not the kind of guys that are just trying to build up your egos or that you have an ego or anything like that. So 
I've just been super impressed by, by that side of it. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. Absolutely. And, uh, it is, it is. And, you know, I've talked, we, we talked a little bit about that today. Yeah. Uh, on the, on the K&M ride back from the range and it, it, it's a weird situation. Mm. It's, um, it's how, 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 how do I do this the right way? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I do this? The, the way that's not selling out or, um, I don't know, I guess being boastful or you right. know, that type of thing. And it, it, it is a pretty difficult thing in my mind to, to figure that out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the other part of that is I absolutely 100% enjoy instructing. I mean, that's what I did for, you know, the last, you know, part of my career at, at training detachment was try to pass on knowledge and you're trying to pass on knowledge to, to hopefully save somebody's life to hopefully, you know, these guys that you're giving these, this knowledge to Mm -hmm. won't make mistakes that will cost them their lives. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's super, super rewarding to do that. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. And I guess, unfortunately, some people have gone about it the wrong way where it's kind of self-serving. And it's very clear to me that, that, that this here is not self-serving whatsoever. So I just wanted to express that. that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Anyways, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, it's okay. Um, okay. So um, now I kind of lost my train of thought. But uh, okay. So go, going back to um, the teams, you know, I, I've done almost every job there is to do in the teams. You know, I've... I've done STVs. Um, I've been a breacher. Of course, I've been a sniper, uh, been a dog guy. You know, I, um, learned how to handle, uh, uh, the canines that we, that we use on operations. Uh, I've been a pilot, um, done, done a lot of things. And, uh, <clears throat> I got to be a sniper instructor for a, a couple, a couple of the sniper courses. And, um, Doing doing that, like anytime you anytime you are tasked to instruct something, it makes you dive deeper into what you're instructing. Because you number one, you don't want to look like a jackass. You don't want to look like you don't know what you're talking about in front of you know other team guys. So that that motivates you to to dive into the topic that you're about to instruct. So uh, instructing sniper school is for me. It was not as difficult but it was pretty it, it was pretty how do, how do i say it pretty eye-opening like um i'm about to give a class on whatever and it's like well i better know my shit when i give this class because if you if you stand in front of a bunch of team guys and you try to bullshit they see right through that right away and then you just lose credibility and nobody will listen to you after that so um being in, being a Going through sniper school, number one was it was super tough. It's probably one of the toughest courses I've been through, and uh, other snipers will tell you the same thing. It's it's not easy. It's um, shit. I can't remember how many weeks it was, but it, you know it's a couple months at least, maybe even three months of of doing the job as a sniper, shooting every day. Like every day, you're on the range from a hundred yards to a thousand yards, and you know you're doing quals. You're, uh, you're stalking and, uh, you know, for stalking is basically you are trying to sneak up on people on binos and, you know, take, when we did it, we would shoot blanks. And then the guys on the binos, you have walkers out in the field. They're, uh, directing the walkers. If if they think they see you, they direct the walkers to you. 
And if they do direct the walkers to you, then you fail, the, you fail the stock. And if you fail too many stocks, then you're just out of sniper school. So, um, some guys find stocks pretty easy. I did not, it, you know, it was, it was, <laughs> that uh, seems extremely difficult to, yeah. And, and it, especially, I mean, East coast, West coast, you know, always this rivalry, right. But on the West coast, we would, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have timber to stock in. We stocked out, we literally stocked in the desert. Like you're on your face trying to sneak up on people in the desert and all you got is tumbleweeds to hide behind and, you know, stuff like that. So it, for me, it was pretty <laughs> difficult. And, uh, is that in broad daylight or do you? Oh yeah. It's in yeah. daylight. Yeah. So basically what they do is they take a truck and in the bed of the truck, they put a table, two instructors are on binos looking at the field and they give you left and right limits. So it's like, Hey, you can't go past yeah. this right limit. You can't go past this left limit. You start, um, you know, the, the starting distance varies, you know, maybe, maybe a thousand yards, maybe, you know, more longer, shorter, depending on the terrain. But it's like, Hey, you have this amount of time to get up to 200 yards, take a shot. Um, if, if you're successful on that first shot with, you know, without the instructors walking somebody on you, then you got a time to, you know, you, you, uh, rechamber around you take a second shot. And if they don't walk the walker on you after the second shot, then you get a 10 on the stock. But at any time, if they catch you coming up, you're done. You're off the field, pick up your shit and leave the field and you get a five. So is you there, fail. Is there like enough terrain to where you can actually hide, like use a ditch or a Creek bottom or something uh, like that? Yeah, you, the, There's enough. But like yeah. I said, out, out on the West coast, it was, it was actually it's pretty wide open. Yeah. It was pretty tough. Like you're literally on your face for three to four hours, like just crawling snails pace yeah, just going. on your face with, with your gun in a bag, you know, tied to your belt mm-hmm. that you're dragging behind you. And then you got to get to your final firing position. You know, Hey, I got this big bush looks great. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? Well, you can with cyber scout from Spartan forge. Cyber scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors, men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Pull your gun up, get everything set come up on your scope and be like, I can't see shit. So then you got to pack everything back up, 
try to find a different place to go to and do the whole thing over again until you do find a position where you could take that shot. And it, it was blanks, you know, you're, you're shooting blanks. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, not even now, like, um, they started incorporating live shots where you take your blank shot. Uh, if the instructors don't find you, then they put a target where they're sitting, they leave the area and then you take a second shot. That's a live shot and you have to hit that target. And that's part of your score too. Huh? What, what separated guys that from the guys that were getting like seen versus the guys that were passing that part of the course? Uh, I think the, I think the, the biggest thing would be to be able to read the terrain. Yeah. It's like, okay, the truck is a thousand yards over in this direction. And, and you know, when you start back then we had ghillie suits, you know, the, the big woolly looking suits. Right. So you start in this one area and the instructor's like, Hey, you got 15 minutes to ghillie up, which means you take veg from the area, tie it into your ghillie suit. But you also have that 15 minutes to be like, okay, the truck's over here. I might have a, um, like a ravine on this side, or I got some really good vegetation on this side. And what separated people was being able to read. Okay. If I go on the right, I got all this good terrain, but if I go on the left, Hey, there's, there's literally a ditch that I could take all the way up to my final firing position. Mm -hmm. And the guys that were smart would go find that ditch and get up there. I feel like that's one of the most applicable things to hunting hunting scenario that like you could possibly have. Cause it's like, you're making those decisions. If you're spotting stalking an elk or something like that, like you're making that decision so quick and trying to just glancing at the train and figuring out, okay, I need to go this way to keep things barriers in front of me visually, but also like keep the wind in my favor. Yeah. Using dead space. Yeah. That's a big thing. You know, sounds like antelope hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Super flat. It looks flat when you look from a distance and then you'll, you'll find a ditch that gives you gains 200 yards that you're out of their sight. Were you collecting your brass when you were, uh, (laughs) (laughs) actually you were, I'm not lying. Like you would take that shot and you would do the old, the old sniper, you know, pull the bolt back and catch your brass in your fingers. Cause if you left anything, it was like minus, minus points. Like if you left, uh, uh, you ate a Snickers bar and you left your Snickers bar and somebody found it to be like, Hey man, minus, minus point. Or, you know, talking yeah. about resting your barrel on, uh, you know, like how we're shooting positions. Like, Hey, don't, don't rest your barrel on something because of the harmonics. If the instructor saw that your barrel's resting on a branch or something like that, it's like, Hey, your barrel's resting on that minus one point, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It, it was not, it was not an easy course. It was, uh, but I loved it, you know. You know, once uh, passing sniper school, once instructing sniper school, it was, it was the job that I wanted to do. Mm. You know, wait, uh, do you, when you're talking about the the ghillie suit, isn't that what you were wearing when we came in earlier? Don't you just wear that all day, every day? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This I'm is just... coming from the guy with the long hair and the mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> I thought you, when you took your shirt off the other day, I thought you were wearing a ghillie suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, no, no. That's just, uh, yeah. That's just being a man. <laughs> I I got a question for you. I'm gonna ask several just dumb questions throughout this thing to keep it light. But uh, so you you were on the STV teams, yeah. Which is it? I guess a, can you explain kind of what that is in a first? So so an STV is it's a, a sealed delivery vehicle, and it's basically a it's basically a mini submarine, 
but it's a wet submarine, which means once it goes in the water, the whole thing fills with water. And then you're, um, so you're basically on some type of breathing apparatus, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, you know, the, the rebreather that's on your chest or the boat has boat air with, you know, with scuba lines that, you know, you put it on your, put it on your face and breathe like scuba. Mm. What's your take on the, uh, the homemade sub that imploded no, going over yeah. Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have gotten on that submarine? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I mean, I t- I've told you guys, that, you know, this last two days, I'm never, there's certain things that I'm never going to do again in my life. Number one is dive. Absolutely never, ever will I dive again. And then number two is jump out of an airplane. You ever uh, been spearfishing? Uh, yeah, probably a couple times. You wouldn't do that again? No. Man. No, not even if the lobsters were like yeah. that big. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Never going to the beach again. No. I mean, I, what I will do is get on a boat, like if uh, deep sea fishing or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can still handle that. But even even getting splashed by the water on the boat, it, it's it's yeah, that's not cool. Is that purely <laughs> from buds or from, from uh, that's, your experience? That's probably Sorry. more from uh, from STV team. Yeah, yeah, just the. Uh, it, that that was that was brutal. That was a brutal job. Yeah, that's that's literally my worst nightmare: being trapped inside like a little tin can. Yeah, you're underwater yeah. for if you're claustrophobic in the slightest. That job ain't for you. And you said you were underwater for like fourteen hours. Yeah, I think my longest thing. dive was fourteen hours. Yeah, that's crazy. And we did those type of dives all the time: twelve hours, uh, fourteen oh, hours, oh. eight hours. Like a short dive would be four hours. Really. That's a short dive. <laughs> That's the kind of dives you wanted to do, but yeah. That's wild. I'm curious, what, uh, so you said your dad was serving the military. Yeah, he was in the army. He yep. was in the army. Yep. Was it always just kind of the thing that you thought you were going to do? You were going to go into the military or was uh, there something that kind of triggered you to want to be a SEAL? And yeah, I mean, it, it was probably always the military was probably always something that I was going to do, mm-hmm. whether it be Army, Marines, whatever. Um, that was more than likely the path that I was going to go down. But um, <clears throat> of all things, I read a book about, and it was a fi- probably more fiction than fact, mm-hmm. about a SEAL that went to Vietnam. I'm like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And then, uh, so that was, I was probably a sophomore in high school when I read that book. And it's like, okay, that's what I want to do. And then uh, even back then, nobody knew what a, what a SEAL was even. You know, it's like, hey, what do you want to do? I want to be a SEAL. Well, what the hell is that? Yeah. And then back then it would be like, well, it's kind of like a Green Beret, but in the Navy. And people would be like, they have that? It's like, yeah, yeah, they have that. <laughs> but now, I mean, you can't, you know, shit, you can't swing a dead cat without yeah. hitting a Navy SEAL. So What, what was <laughs> <laughs> What uh? What was your path getting? Did you just, you enlisted, went to basic, and then straight to yeah? So um, training or so you know, freshman sophomore year. That's what I wanted to do. Um, my mom, who is uh, you know, she's a great woman, but very very strict. I mean, she's Korean. I don't know if you guys know about the Korean culture at all, but it's like uh, you ever hear Dragon Moms, you know. Like super strict, like yeah. things were, she said, this is how things are and that's how things were. And so she said, you're going to go to college and that's how it, 
the shit was going to happen. So I wanted to enlist, you know, like, you know, graduated from high school. I wanted to enlist, go in the Navy. But even, even my dad's like, no, you're going to go to school first. So went to the University of Colorado, graduated. Um, see, I think I graduated in July for some reason. I think I was like a semester behind or something. I had to take a Spanish class to graduate. Graduated in July, and I left in August of 91 for boot camp. And um, I don't know if it was the easiest way, but it was probably the easiest way to get a guarantee to go to BUDS was to enlist. Mm -hmm. You know, with a four-year degree, you could probably apply for, you know, to become an officer, do whatever. But to get to BUDS, the easiest way was to enlist, so that's how I did it. Yeah. Graduated in July, left for boot camp in August, went to boot camp, um, and back then they had three boot camps, not just one in Great Lakes, so I went to Orlando. And then also back then, SEALs didn't have their own rate. So what you did is you went to school. You went to a Navy school to learn a rate in the Navy, a job in the Navy. So boot camp to radioman A school. I became a radioman. And then that was like six weeks long. And then I went to BUDS right after that. Okay. I feel like BUDS has just this like aura around it, just folklore almost. Yeah, it's a... As weird as this sounds, I probably had one of the best times of my life going through buds. Really? Yeah. What was your What was your kind of expectation going into it? And then I thought what, for twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, I was going to get my ass kicked. And then the first day I show up, and this this somebody that had been to buds at buds for you know probably a week longer than I had is giving us an orientation. And he's like, hey, you know, on Fridays, sometimes we get off a little bit early because, you know, the instructors, they want to they wanna leave. And I was like, what What did you just say? He's like, yeah, on Fridays, sometimes we get off early for the weekend. I was like, we're not working on the weekend? I'm like, hell no, we're not working on the weekend. So that that was like kind of eye-opening for me. I yeah. thought it was like seven days a week. Yeah. yeah. But we got our weekends off, so that was pretty cool. I guess I guess then when you went in, I feel like there's tons of books about it now. But yeah, I mean there there were there, there were a few actually the the movie Navy Seals came out back then too. Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie yeah. Sheen. That was uh pretty much the first Navy SEAL movie. Yeah. That came out. It's a great actor to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what's the book that you were talking about that you read that kind of sparked that fire? Uh man, it was uh I believe it was called Mekong. It was about the SEAL that or about this dude that, and it's kind of weird, but he, once again, it's probably more more fiction than fact, mm-hmm. but this this guy uh, during the Vietnam War, he's like, hey, I'm about to get drafted, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the Navy instead of going in the Army. You know, maybe I'll be a little bit safer in the Navy. So he joins the Navy, and then his thing is like, well, there's this training that lasts six months long. Maybe I could go into this training and Vietnam will be over by the time I get out of training. <laughs> well, the training was BUDS, so he goes through BUDS training, and then, you know, of course, gets sent to Vietnam right away, and then he just goes through some ops in Vietnam that gotcha. he was involved in. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool shit. There was one thing from BUDS that you felt like was the most difficult for you. Is there one individual thing, or is it more just like the just the buildup of... I think the mileage worst, the, and just the worst thing for me in buds was waking up every morning. Was every time I woke up, I'm like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> but once you, you know, once once you got started, it was like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, whatever." Yeah, 
it's just that you know five o'clock four o'clock wake up every morning does just like oh man i don't i want to go back to bed and and like so when you're going through those days like i'm sure some are longer than others and everything but was there like anything that you kind of whether you told yourself or anything kind of mentally just to get through it did you have like milestones like all right i get to this time or i do this yeah i mean i think i think i think most people you you just need to think evolution to evolution you know like hey i got a four mile run okay i I just i need to finish this four mile run that's it Mm -hmm. and then after that four mile run it's like okay we got um some type of pt okay all i need to do is finish that pt and then hey we're gonna go to chow Awesome. And then the next evolution, it's just, it's like not looking at the long game. It's looking at the short game. It's looking at, hey, all I got to do is finish this day. And then the next day it's like, okay, I, I got to wake up and I got to, you know, do a two mile swim. Okay. I just need to pass this swim instead of looking for, you know. Oh yeah. Like yeah. I have five things to do today that are going to be difficult. You look yeah, at it or, from or, like or looking path. at the, at, more like the end goal. Hey, I got six months. Yeah. Six oh, months yeah. and then yeah. a week. It's right. like, how am I ever going to get through all right. of this it's stuff? It's just a evolution to evolution. And once again, I mean, it might be a strange thing, but I, I, just, I had a good time in Buds. It's like you show up, no responsibility. You do what they tell you to do. You're with a bunch of good dudes, and it was just a good time. Yeah. I, I like I like how you explain that with like the evolution evolution because I feel like again coming back to hunting is so applicable when you go on you know especially going like backcountry hunts or you're doing some of these things like yeah you're there to enjoy it but it's it's tough at times and you, you especially you're there for a couple weeks at a time or do whatever it's like all right it's got to lace, lace my boots on I always just look at it. it's like all right I got to get yeah, to just the top climb, of the, climb to the top of this top hill. of this hill and yeah. I, can, I can do this thing and then you know then there's the next task and yeah. you just kind of go through those things and break it up versus oh I I need to I need to hike you know x far this yeah. far and and do that throughout the day so I I just think that's like such an applicable thing and you know I see it all the time from from good good hunters and i you know i've interviewed hunters throughout this podcast and it's like they always have this one thing in common is that they just go until the end they just don't quit they just do the thing you know over and over again and eventually you know things work out yeah it's super easy to get discouraged hunting because it's like nothing can be it could be nothing's going on you're not seeing any animals like you're just feel like you're sitting up on top of a mountain looking through glass for five days straight and then it's you know, 30 seconds could be the difference between a successful hunt versus, you know, going a whole week without accomplishing anything. Yeah. But if you just give up after those first four days and don't see it through the, to the end, it's like you just, you can cut yourself short yeah. by kind of being overwhelmed by the whole picture. But I think another part of it that's relatable is like part of the draw for me to doing some more of these adventure hunts and Western hunts is almost embracing the suckiness of it and just like going out and camping out in the mountains and having to hike in carrying a heavy pack and like if you don't enjoy that aspect of it you're probably going to just like get in, in your own head and just feel sorry for yourself and just not not enjoy it and then just end up like telling yourself it's not worth it and turning around and so I feel like probably a lot of the guys that go into buds with that mentality of like just always feeling like feeling sorry for themselves, just not enjoying those things. Yeah. Probably just end up saying, you know what, forget this. And the other thing is, I mean, you got to look at buds as like, 
buds is not the goal, you know. Right. Being a seal is the goal. Buds is the obstacle to becoming a seal. So you just got to look at it like, like, um, if if a guy says, "Yeah, I want to, I want to try, I want, I want to try to, I want to try to finish buds," it's like, well, that's not the goal. Right. Yeah. The goal is to be a seal, not to finish training. It's to to do the job. Yeah. And there's, uh, I can't even tell you the amount of times where the actual job sucked more than buds, you know. Right. And that's why it's so hard. It's because they they, you know, if if you're gonna quit. If you're going to quit when shit gets hard, then you're going to quit, you know? So that's why it's so hard because you want to weed out those people that are going to quit when it gets hard. So when it actually does get hard, which is the, there's times in in uh, being a SEAL or in combat where shit was hard, harder than buds, and, and you don't quit, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you can't have guys next to you that you're yeah. relying on. Right that have that mentality right yeah well i i think um another thing i kind of wanted to transition to here a little bit is talking about the shooting aspect specifically and kind of talking about that because you know i've i spent my whole life hunting and i've shot guns since i was a little kid well both kurt and i have to speak from us and our family's big on shooting guns and everything but you know coming to this course and learning from you guys was it was it was super interesting because a lot of the things I felt like that that you talked about and went through and discussed they weren't overly complex. It's the basics thing, yeah. <laughs> they weren't overly complex things. You know, you, you think it's you know these you know shortcuts and and obviously there was a ton of things that were like that. I was like, oh, I didn't think about that or or go through it, but. From your standpoint and what you've learned shooting, what are, what are, what is something that you consider that makes someone a good shooter? Like, how would you, how, what what are some things people do that you would consider? Well, a good I mean, shooter? There, there's um, there's a saying out there is uh, professionals professionals concentrate on the basics, right? So whether it's you know long range shooting, whether it's pistol shooting, you know whatever, what whatever endeavor you're doing the professionals concentrate on the basics and they get the basics down 100% because because you know say um say you want to be a good pistol shooter right well you you can't you can't skip doing the basics and be a, a good pistol shooter or you can't skip being the basics and be a good you know long range shooter it's it's all about professionals do the basics over and over and over again until they're perfect. And then the other advanced stuff, you, you can lay on top of that. You know, you can add it later or you can, you can learn other advanced stuff later, but you always have to go back to the basics. You know, like, you know, we, we talked about the fundamentals of shooting, body position, breathing, you know, all, all those different fundamentals. If you don't have those, then how can you add other stuff on top of that? Does that make sense mm -hmm. to you guys? Yeah. No, no, one hundred percent. I mean, yeah. that's that's so applicable to archery too. I mean, it's it's just building those fundamentals up and doing it over and over. Like I remember, you know, you were talking with Kurt uh, when his we were joking about like how when he jacks a shell, oh yeah, yeah. goes to grab Mr. the Mr. 
grab the <laughs> grab the brass. Going over, grab the brass. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, don't do, don't do that. <laughs> that was the that was the joke earlier when I said, did you guys collect your brass? Because every yeah. time I'd shoot, I'd just open the bolt slowly and grab some reloader, and he'd be like. No, just open the bolt, let it go. Like, get, get ready for the next shot. Yeah, but you you got it. I mean, you were doing it. I don't know if it'll stick, but I, I got <laughs> well, it today. Well, you got to decide it's gonna. You're gonna yeah, make it stick. That, yeah. That's the other thing too. Is like, um, and and this applies to other things. You know, not not just long range shooting, but you know, people people are like, well. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. I have the muscle memory to do it this way. And it's like, okay, yeah, you have the muscle memory to do it. Maybe not the correct way, but you, you have that muscle memory. And all it takes is a conscious decision to do it the right way. It doesn't, you know, people say, well, you know, it, it's muscle memory, it's muscle memory. But if you make that conscious decision not to do that, then you're not going to do it. Does that make sense? Again? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, some people use muscle memory as an excuse. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I've done it this way the whole time. Well, just stop doing it that way. Just stop. <laughs> yeah. Make the conscious decision to stop doing it. The I don't want to say the wrong way, but not the right way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is also, it was, it was, um, it was interesting because like, you know, not that I, I, I expected to come in here and it'd be like, Oh, there's this certain secret that every time you shoot and you do these things, but you know, the way that, the way that you guys looked at it was everything was situational. You go through the basics, you figure out what you have to work with and make it work. Because like, you know, we started out and we were shooting, you know, after we went through the classroom stuff, we went through the, the med brief and the safety stuff and everything there, you know, we go out in the flat range and, you know, showed, well, I guess before that we showed how you guys showed us how to, you know, set up our rifles and make sure the scope was mounted correctly and go through all these things. Then we go in the flat range and start by practicing in perfect conditions and doing that right. And, you know, from what, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you were saying is like, you know, you want to, you want to learn to have the best case scenario as far as making sure your body was positioned mm -hmm. right and your breathing was right. And, you know, your gun and you, you understand how your gun and your ammo and everything's working correctly. And then, so then when you have to adapt in different situations, yeah. you can, you can make that. Yeah, because work. I mean, I in all honesty, how many hunting situations, like rifle shooting situations, are you going to be proned out on a bipod with a bag underneath, you know, your stock and, and you know, everything's perfect? Probably, probably never. Yeah. You know? But if you, if you still work the basics, you know, your breathing, your trigger, maybe that will help you out if your body position, you know, like you're in some kind of awkward position, that that's the only position you can get into. So maybe your body position is not perfect, but everything else that you've been working on that's basic is still good. So you're going to make that good shot, you know. I'll say that, like, having shot a lot my whole life, 
and like I was looking for like trying to maybe like maybe there's one thing that's just like the secret there but it ended up being like this culmination of things that just like improved so everybody knows and it's the same with archery you're kind of timing that figure eight with mm-hmm. with when you break that trigger or when you break the release and one thing that I know I, it didn't hit me to with the power line today but it was like just from what I've learned here I I significantly reduced the size of that figure eight to the point where it was like I'm watching my heartbeat just like mm-hmm. yeah. move the crosshair and then and you're timing on that minuscule scale or as opposed to where it was like say at 500 yards it might have been four or five feet I was reducing it down to eight ten inches mm-hmm. on that target and it was like just doing that it's like even when I did not time it correctly it was still only a few inches or so off but yeah. it was like the fact that you're able to get into those positions and make those small adjustments of um, arm position, like, hey, try this. Because it is a little, it was, some of the stuff was a little non-standard from the traditional shooting, especially like shooting from a knee. Mm-hmm. Like you're always told, I mean, growing up, it was always left le- left leg up to support your, your uh, support hand, but if you have something supporting the front of your rifle, like the right leg up makes yeah. a lot more sense to support the hand that's running the back of the rifle. And it was, uh, I don't know, but to reducing that movement was, well, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Well, much. It, it was hard. It was hard. So actually, Kurt, just to correct you a little bit on the archery standpoint, it's different because in archery, you're not supposed to time anything. You kind of let it float. And as you're pulling through, it's wherever your shot breaks. So it's, it's, it's different because you, you know, you're kind of using your back muscles to be able to help and you're not really pulling the trigger. You're more kind of pulling through and it just breaks surprisingly where, you know, based on some of the instruction here, it was like, okay, you are kind of timing that and making sure with your breathing and having it. So it was, it was, it was kind of, it took me a little bit to, to train my mind differently with shooting with it. And there's, there's no better feeling when you hear that that hit that steel plate like that's that <laughs> we, we were just joking about it at dinner or talking about it but it's like you can't have a course like this without those steel plates yeah. when you hear that that yeah. that it's feedback awesome. <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool is that is that accurate what Bo's saying like in archery i guess the, the phrase is accepting the pin float yeah who's it joel is it joel turner that kind of goes really yeah. gets into that but like it's impossible to hold your pin yeah. perfectly still it, yeah it's it, it's the same with i mean it, it's definitely same with with pistol shooting and, and yeah. shooting a carbine it's like if if you a lot of times if you try to time it or say you're pistol you're shooting a pistol right and and you got that you got that little wobble or float or, or float or whatever and all of a sudden you say now that's what happens is Push now yeah. and you're pushing that shot. Right. And same with the carbine and, and, you know, same, same with the sniper rifle. If you, if you consciously say now, then a, a lot of times you're going to, you're going to push that shot where you don't want it to go. Yeah. So you, you, you do accept it, but you just, you know, you do everything to minimize that, that movement that's, that's going on. Yeah. I, I've always, or I've always had issues of kind of like, drawing a bow and kind of freezing under the target and then trying to pull up into the target and then timing that release. But after listening to like Joel and Levi and a few other guys, I've like really focused on drawing and drawing and aiming at the same time to where like I'm immediately trying to get on target and I'm not, it's almost like I'm afraid to aim at the target 
And I think it's kind of the same thing with a rifle. It's like you're trying to find your target, you're trying to get the reticle on there. And if you think about it too much and you're like trying to time it up, you end up just jerking past it or pushing down forward. But if you just accept kind of having that reticle float around the target, you eventually kind of get that muscle memory. And like what you're talking about, you figure out like the best way to brace yourself and that float just gets tighter and tighter and tighter to where you're just, your deviation is just smaller and smaller. Yeah. And and yeah. And, and like, and then utilizing the things that you have available to stable yourself, to make that not happen with the gun. Like, you know, that, that was probably one of the biggest takeaways for for me was like using things like your track and pull on the backside and using these different things to have multiple points of contact Mm -hmm. to be able to have and do that. Like I just, it's, yeah, I just never thought of being able to do that and having you guys instruct us through it and, and getting to do that was just like, that was incredible. Well, that's one of those things. Talk about muscle memory. If you don't train those things at the range in a hunting situation, when you're about to make a shot on an animal, like you're not going to think about grabbing your trekking pole out of your pack Mm -hmm. and using that as a brace for the back, for the buttstock. Yeah. Like you got, cause you're just going to, you're going to think you have to rush in that moment and just, end up shooting stuff like rushing your shot. But if you train the things like we did today, using your pack, track and pull, whatever else. like, And and that is one of the biggest things. Like, you know, super, super lucky to have the job that I had where I could go to the range and literally shoot a thousand rounds. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like it's nothing. Literally you shoot a thousand rounds, like nothing. And, and I know, you know, most civilians cannot do that at all. So I know I've been super lucky to, to have the job where like, like I told some of you guys, I'm surprised people paid me to do that job. I would have paid somebody else. I would have paid, (laughs) I'd have paid the government to do that. It's like, you're giving me a paycheck to do this. It's like, holy crap, man. Yeah. I do this for free. Yeah. Well, that's why we're, we're fortunate that you're uh, willing to teach this stuff. Like that's get somebody with that experience to show us that has those at this point hundreds of thousands of rounds probably even more than that downrange so like what you've learned from that you can only learn from putting that much having that much time spent behind it and like picking up the little things and a lot of the stuff that you might not even think makes a big difference and like the way you speak about things might just set a light bulb off yeah. in somebody's head that's like oh that's that's and, what he meant by that. I mean, it, it's always good to to have different instructors too, because I could say I could try to teach you something over and over and over again, and then somebody else says that thing in a different way, and you're like, "Oh, okay, now I understand it." It's like, why couldn't you say it that way, Tuan? Like, I don't know. I did say it that way. <laughs> well, Kurt, you're talking about like you're looking for that one little secret that's going to change the way you shoot. I'm. A, you're pretty. You're very experienced. You're a gunsmith. I'm an archer, archery guy. Like I have very little experience and very little ex- instruction on a rifle. And I was, when I first started, I guess yesterday, sighting in the rifle, I was wrapping my thumb all the way around the grip and I was pretty inconsistent. And then I just, I watched Twan shoot and you shoot with your thumb out and you're almost like barely even gripping the rifle. It's almost like your hands just resting on the foregrip. And it's just there so that you can pull the trigger. Right. And when I tried that grip, it just, it made all the different difference in the world. Yeah. Cause I was, I guess I just wasn't putting that kind of that, that side pressure on the rifle when I was, as I was squeezing the trigger. So, I mean, for someone like me, that's a total noob 
having someone that can just point a little thing out like that, like I could have, I could have never realized what I was doing and would just, you know, could have struggled trying to figure out like, why am I not consistent? Well, I mean, my first shot string I did, he's like, Hey, you're, I noticed your finger isn't consistent in the same spot on the trigger. And I'm just like, why? Like, yeah, I don't, without somebody sitting there from the third person and seeing that, like I'm thinking about so many other things. And then after that, it was like a simple, like, Hey, make sure it's in the same spot every time. Like almost like a little checklist you're going through in your head. And then ever since he said that, it was now I'm like, okay, middle of the pad of the finger, Mm -hmm. which is one of the first things you learn when you're shooting a rifle, but it's just, you do it so much, you kind of get into bad habits or whatever. And it just, it's like, it was nice to be regrounded. Like, oh yeah, that's like, that's basic marksmanship. Just, I mean, you listed off in some of the earlier stuff, like, the fundamentals of making an accurate shot and trigger control is one of them obviously and everybody thinks trigger control is just applying pressure and pulling back but it's also position of your finger position of your hand all of that so yeah that was i mean it was, i guess there was i guess that was one of those like for aha me, moments yeah for someone that just doesn't really know well, anything for me too yeah, yeah. it's yeah. well yeah and, and i think i i think and also from my standpoint like I'm, I've been a big fan. Anybody that's listened to my podcast before knows that, like, I'm a huge fan of doing in-person courses or just, and usually that's because, so my goal is, like, I want to surround myself by people that are really good at certain things that I want to be good at to be able to learn more. And usually that's through the form of courses, you know, in person or however that may be. And it's just, you learn so much from that, you know, that's outside of the curriculum and you get to talk through it. And what I liked was, you know, Juan, you have some, you know, you're showing us some pretty cool rifles that you had built that, you know, are pretty extensive rifles, but it didn't matter because the things that you're, that the things that you're teaching aren't, aren't always necessarily just about the gear or the rifle. It's about how you can make the most out of what you have. And, you know, you wanted us to be shooting our guns that we're going to be hunting with. You know, we, we spent a lot of time getting my gun set up for, you know, moose hunt and, and doing these things like learning basically and you can you know kind of clarify this but learning the stuff that you have and getting super familiar with it is is going to make you a better marksmanship than just having the best rifle or the best caliber or whatever it might be yeah absolutely i mean once again it goes to it goes to all shooting you know it's like you got to know you got to know your weapon like trigger the trigger pulls on your rifles you know you you Maybe it's three pounds, maybe it's two pounds, maybe you know, maybe it's two ounces, whatever it is, right? But you got to know your trigger. And you get it, it sounds kind of stupid, but you got to be intimate with your trigger, you know. Like, even on my pistols, I know when my pistol is going to break, how much poundage I'm putting on my pistol to make that thing go off. And it's like, I can, I can load it. And, and you know, we talked about the, the rifle that I had is like, yeah, I can. I didn't want it to where I just touch it and it goes off. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to feel my finger on that trigger and know, okay, I I, I know where it's going to break, you know? And, and that's, the, once again, that's, uh, it's practice and it's consistency. You know, with that, that saying that we had on the slide, you know, consistency leads to accuracy. And it's absolutely true. If you do consistent, if you, if you practice consistently and you do, things in, in in the real world over and over and over in the same manner then it leads to accuracy does it once again does that make sense yeah yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah 
Yeah. Because even if you're doing a minor thing wrong, if you're doing it the same way wrong every time, you can achieve some yeah. sort of accuracy. Right. Same deal with archery. Yeah. Right. Like it re- honestly doesn't really matter how you grip your release as long as you're doing it the exact same every single time. Mm-hmm. If you're putting a little bit of face pre- face pressure on the string, like as long as you do it every time, you're going to be accurate. You're going to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's those things that that you can do like as far as proper technique that'll make it more consistent because sure. like certain things like string pressure, it's hard to get the exact same yeah. string pressure every time where if you just, you know, touch your nose on it, again, thinking of archery, touching your nose on the string slightly, it's like, okay, that's more repeatable than something else. So like that's where having those fundamentals are, you can do those more consistent. That's why they are, you know, best practices. Right. Which correct? goes back to the whole putting my finger in the same place on the trigger. It's like something so simple, but it just affects so many other things down the line of like, that means my hand's going to be in the same position. It just gets you in the same thought process. Yeah. It's the littlest thing makes a huge difference in consistency. Yeah. And then once again, talking about muscle memory, you know, we, we talked about how to change muscle memory, but as long as you, if, if you have that muscle memory the right way, then you don't even have to think about it. Right. You're in a situation where you got to, you got to shoot that moose or you got to shoot that elk and it's, it's a natural thing that happens. You know, it's like you've done it the correct way over and over and over again. So when you have to do it on an animal or for real, it's just natural. Everything, yeah. everything falls into place and you do it the correct way. You just don't even think about it. It's right. just second nature. Right. Yeah. And is that, is that how, is that how you think like as far as with high stress situations, you feel like that's how you, uh, I guess are able to fall through with those fundamentals mostly just through that practice or what other things like with, with you with like high stress situations, how, how are you dealing with that? I think, um, we practiced so much like, and, and I'm, I'm going, I'm not going, you know, like, uh, long range shooting or, or sniping or anything, but like, say I'm talking about like CQB entering a house you you have a group of guys, say, you know, you have four or six guys that you train with every single day for months and months and months and years and, you know, over and over and over. Like, we would go to the house almost every day. And I'm talking about, like, the kill house, the, the practice CQB house, right? You go there every single day and practice and practice and practice. And you critique each other. And, and the critiques are not like, it's not like we're sitting here having a good time. The critiques are like, hey, dude. You fuck that up. Don't ever do that again. I mean, they were, they were pretty brutal. That's like, or, or you're, you're doing it, you're doing, you do a run. And if I mess something up, the first thing that comes up is like, Hey fellas, I screwed that up. I did this when I should have did that. Won't happen again, you know, but going back to the high stress situations, you, you work together and practice together so much that it's just, it's second nature, you know, it's like, you know, this shit can be going wrong, but it doesn't matter because you know what your, what your brother's going to do, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, if us four go to the kill house every day for a year, then we go into a real situation. It's like, I know what each, each one of you guys is going to do. And yeah. it's just a, it's just a team. It's like a dance. Yeah. You just do it. Yeah. And then, you know, when, when it is stressful or, you know, you're getting shot at or something, something doesn't go as planned you still work together enough to know that okay this didn't go like it's supposed to go but we can adapt and we could do something different 
Yeah. No, that makes sense. And and so with with those situations, cause I know like myself and really anybody that comes into hunting, it's like, you know, they call it the traditional buck fever oh, yeah. that you get and you get the situation all of a sudden your, your heart rate's going and you're doing those things. So from your perspective, it's a lot of, or tell me if this is correct, but you think it's a lot of just like doing the thing over and over and over again that you just you know what to do in those situations or do you, do you practice in trying to make it stressful to be able to adapt to it? Or do you think it's more of like the doing the basics so much? Um, I've always wanted to ask this question to someone like Tuan. Yeah. Like does, does your experience in the military, especially as a sniper, is that like a similar feeling in those high pressure situations as like a, a hunting situation. And obviously it's nowhere close to the same consequences or anything like that. But is that, is your ability to like control your breathing and your heart rate and all that kind of stuff? Does that translate over into a hunting situation I or is it, it totally, totally different? No, no, I, th- I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, for me personally, I mean, this is just, just me and my personal outlook. I, I absolutely think, I think it does. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, would I, would my heart rate go to 180 and I'd start shaking if I saw, you know, a, 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 a 200 inch buck walk in front of me? Probably. <laughs> but I think that, I think that I can control it enough to, to, you know, to make a shot on it yeah. know, without, without missing. Yeah. Is that kind of the, the answer to your question or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of, I, I guess to me from someone that's, never experienced anything close to what you've experienced. It seems like it would almost like desensitize you to yeah. being in such a high level yeah, of stress I, I, to where like yeah. shooting a deer is just like, Oh, whatever. I'm just pulling the trigger almost. Not that you lose the excitement of like the hunt right. and the chase, but right. uh, that just like adrenaline dump is almost. I mean, there, there's like anytime I'm in a deer stand or I'm, you know, doing a hunt and I see an animal, there's, there's definitely that little spike. Yeah. But I definitely think like, if I'm rifle hunting or any type of hunting and the animal comes out, that adrenaline pops up, but then it's just, it's like, okay, I, um, it, I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like it's, it's something bad, but then it's just like, okay, I know what I need to do, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just you focus on the job at, yeah, hand just at that doing point. It. And, and, and I don't want, I don't want that to sound like a bad thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's taking no. an animal's life. It's no, that's what you, that's yeah. what you want. That's that. I feel like that only comes with experience in like shooting animals. Right. Cause it's your first like handful. I mean, I still get buck fever and it's almost impossible to control. Cause it's, it's just, you know, it's literally chemicals in your body that are right. releasing adrenaline. Right. I think everybody but, remembers our first year yeah. or whatever, where you're just like, just, I mean, you literally you no like, don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just you black out a little bit. If your dad's with you, he's like, now pick up the gun. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> now what? Like, it's just. Well, well, yeah. and, and like, because I, I hear so much conflicting stuff as far as like training for these situations. And like, even with, you know, even when it comes to physical conditioning, like I've went through just, I've went through multiple different phases in you know, from a physical conditioning standpoint, I went through, you know, online training that was like training for the worst, wanting high heart rate all the time, doing that kind of stuff. And then to like where I'm at now with a trainer that I work with, that's like, 
he's just, he's all about building foundations and doing the same, just consistency over and over again. He's like, then you'll deal with those situations because you built that consistency. But I was always curious from, you know, your perspective of like, do you think like entering high stress, trying to recreate high stress situations in your training to be able to prepare for that? Or is it more so of, again, building that foundation so much that you just revert to that? I think it's the latter. You're just building, once again, you're, you're, you, you do the basics so well that it's second nature and it just comes, it just happens. You, you know? don't have a choice, yeah. but other than to do it that way. Right. You right. just don't think about it. Yeah. So if you're, like, if you're a new guy on the teams or a new sniper, is that something that you guys talk about or train for? Like what you're going to feel when you're in that, that first combat situation and you have to pull the trigger on something? It's like, mm. Or is it just they don't even – you don't even want that to enter your headspace because you're just trying to focus on the fundamentals of, you know, shooting and how you're, t- how you're working with your team and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it in in all honesty, we, we probably should talk about that more. But it's – it's you're, you're talking about like the emotional feeling of – Not so much emotional, more more the adrenaline dump. Because it seems to me to just be like overwhelming, especially if you're a sniper and you're like going in on a high value target or something, and you've been watching this person for a while. It's like that moment. It's such, with hunting. It's such a build up because you could literally be chasing a, a specific buck for years. Yeah, and it just and then it, he comes, comes out down to that like, one split second. It's right. like all of that <laughs> adrenaline is just getting funneled into that one moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, I, man, I, I really don't know how to, not to answer, but how to express, how to express that answer. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, um, and I don't want to get into something that's like, no, 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 personal we're, or no, 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 we're, we're, no, not at all. We're just, I'm just not, it's just not coming to me how to answer yeah, that question. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's once again it, it you, you work so so when you like when you go when you're doing things in the Kell house there's really there's really not that much stress on you you know i mean if, if you're doing live fire shooting yeah you you're shooting next you know you're shooting close to each other mm-hmm. you know that there could be dangerous things that happen but it's not it's not like you're you're going through a selection, you know. It's not like in more induced stress when it's like a selection process, like like going through buds or you know going through selection for development group. Super high stress. Like the the only way they can make the stress higher than what they do is to actually shoot at you mm. when you're trying, you know, when you're doing your job, which obviously they can't. But you know. It it's it's the fear of failure. You know, you don't want to fail. It's uh, it, it's you know, basically the fear of not doing job the job correctly. Mm-hmm. So, in selection, super high stress. Once you pass selection, it's training, and in training, there's still stress, but it's not like you know you you're training to do the job. You're not you're not there. Well, I guess there's always the possibility of getting shit canned if you don't perform, but 
the 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 stress is not as bad as selection. It's it's more of hey, we need to train together to be a group, to be a team, to get this mission done. So the the there's there's not that like adrenaline dump every time you go into the kill house when you're training mm-hmm. or when you're on the sniper range taking shots. It's not it's not like that. So when when the time to do it for real, you've practiced so much. It's just it's just once again it's just second nature. You just do yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, I think the like e- even in combat, I've I've never. It sounds kind of weird, but I've never been afraid for myself, like getting hurt or getting killed or anything like that. The only thing that I ever worried about was not doing my job correctly mm-hmm. and and causing somebody else to get hurt. That's the only thing that I ever that ever made me worried was like, hey, I have to perform because my brother's life depends on it. You know, yeah. If I get hurt or if I get killed, okay. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. But I never wanted to be the reason somebody else got hurt. No, no, it totally makes sense. What about Drew? Do you have, what else do you have? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I kind of don't know if I answered. I mean, it's, it's a tough one to answer because like, it's difficult to put that feeling into words for me, at least from a hunting situation. Mm. Um, but I think, I think what you're saying, just like, the only way, and the only the only way that I found to kind of like numb that feeling, is a to just shoot a ton, to where you're literally just not even thinking about the mechanics of your right, shot. Right, right, yeah. Once again, your muscle. Uh, I I hate saying muscle memory because muscles don't have memory. It's it's in your brain. Yeah. You know, it's it's the mechanics. Your 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 brain is telling your body to do something and if you do it over and over and over again and we we talked about that too like uh like when you were picking up your brass i told that story about uh, i think it was the cops in chicago Mm -hmm. shoot their revolver turn it over dump the brass out bend down pick the brass up over and over and over and over again on the range and then they get in a shootout for real they shoot their revolver you know shoot all six rounds open it up dump the and this is it this is in you know a shootout, you know, with bad guys, mm-hmm. dump the brass out, bend down in the middle of a, of a fight and pick their brass up. Cause that's what they've done over and over and over again. So, you know, you, you're, you're talking about doing the correct thing over and over and over again, but you can also do the incorrect thing over and over again and your body will revert to doing that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just a natural, not, not a natural, but it's a learned behavior that you will do in stressful situations. So if you do the wrong thing over and over, stress hits, your body reverts back to that. Whereas if you do the correct thing over and over and over, when stress hits, you'll do the correct thing. Yeah. So I think one difference, I guess that it's probably important to point out is like the majority of shooting archery shooting that I do is just standing in my backyard on a, on flat ground, shooting a target that's bright red with a white circle in the middle of it. Whereas like, buds and seal training they obviously put you in the most stressful situations possible as you're training so that's probably i mean that's probably a pretty good takeaway of, and, and i've learned that the hard way even just like going out to shoot tack events at targets that are not on flat ground like you're shooting at a steep uphill angle angle or uh, <clears throat> steep downhill angle it's like if you don't practice for those situations if you just sit in your backyard and shoot flat you're, you're not going to be able to, you're not, your muscle memory is not going to take over in that situation. 
You yeah. don't, you don't, you guys don't climb up in your tree stands and practice. I mean, a little up. bit, but not, you know, a few times before season opens. Well, I, I started doing that a lot a few years ago because I used to do that. <laughs> and then I just kind of got, I'm like, oh, it's, it's pretty simple, especially when I'm out yeah. shooting. I can shoot, you know, 80, 90 yards at targets on, you know, flat ground. I'm like, I'll be able to shoot 12 yards out of a tree stand. And then I missed a buck at 12 yards yeah. like or 14 yards and it was like an absolute chip shot because i wasn't bending at the waist like i needed to and doing the things and i was like i'm an idiot like i knew better that i need to do that so now it's like the way i approach like archery is like i'll shoot all summer kind of on the flat range getting like my mechanic style doing that and then come august i start not i kind of start going away a little bit from like shooting all the longer ranges and stuff i'll get in my tree and i'll put my 3d target at different angles and different positions and shooting off the different sides and then like off your you know, knees shooting off your knees yeah. and and then like i'll just walk out and i'll throw arrows out in different parts of my yard and guess the range and try to shoot without moving my yeah. sight and right. try to understand what my pin gap is and start to learn those other skills that yeah, just because I was good going out there in my Crocs and my shorts and shooting on the flat ground all the time, that wasn't applicable as practicing the skills that were what yeah. was realistic. And, and, like we were doing like with yeah. shooting on the flat range here and then going up to the and even, power even, line. Even team guys are guilty of that. You know, you go to a range and you lay your mat out, you get prone behind your bipod and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot. And then it's like, okay, put your gun on that window seal or put your gun in a weird position and then it's like, Oh shit. Okay. This is a little different to where it, it should probably be the inverse of, Hey, you go to the range and shoot, you know, a little bit proned out, nice and comfortable. And then the rest of the time you should be in those, you know, mm -hmm. awkward positions or non-standard positions like we were shooting today. Yeah. yeah. That's what it should be. But do you ever like run or do burpees or something before you shoot to get your heart rate up to try to, I have done that and I've kind of went away from it. Just coming back from the idea of what my, I guess what my trainer was talking to me about from a fitness standpoint was said, if you're training your body for specific, this is, you know, this is the way that, that Todd explained to me is like kind of training your body for high stress. And like, you almost create a panic, like when you're doing that sometimes to that, it makes it more difficult more. So if you just work on the foundations of getting your fitness to a level where you're able to slow your heart rate down quicker when you get to a spot and take your time and make a shot versus just doing it when your heart rates at 180 beats per minute sort of deal. But that's, so are, is he saying that like, if you increase your fitness level, that it's buck fever is not going to affect your heart rate as much. No, or just if you're, Hiking in the mountains. Hiking then, in the mountains yeah. sort of sort of deal more than more than anything. And then yeah. it's just like but when it comes down to the buck fever standpoint, it's like, okay, you focus on the way at least I do it, not saying it's correct, but like a deer will come in and you might get that initial panic, but you just kinda let yourself breathe and, and go down and then you go through your mechanics and I, I do it by talking to myself, like in my head. I don't mm -hmm. say it out loud obviously, but I go through it's like, all right get ready, which is like putting my nose on, looking through my peep, lining up the sight picture, looking at the bubble. And it's like, okay, I say, okay. And that's kind of when I just breathe and it's execute and then pull, 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 pull. And I go through yeah. my shot process. And by me having to go through those steps, which is a Joel Turner thing I learned from mm -hmm. 
And when I trained with him and it was like, and he's sitting there beating on my hat with an arrow and trying to like get you worked up and, you know, basically kind of talking shit to you a little bit to try to get you worked up and you've, but by going through this process and focusing through those things, then you have to focus on saying those things to yourself. So it keeps you in the moment, focused on what you're supposed to do. And that helps you ex- execute, yeah. essentially. Basically, you have a sequence of events that, yeah. you, that you go through. Yeah, to, you have a sequence of events. So that helps take your mind off of your elevated heart rate and doing all these things. And and uh, that's that's kind of how I've approached it. That's just how, again, just me and not saying that's perfect. but No, I think that's I think that's super important to have like a mantra that you're just, once you start that saying in your head, it almost takes your mind off of what's going on in front of you. Yeah. It just have, makes you focus on the mechanics of the shot. From, from a rifle standpoint, do you, do you do anything like that or have any things that go through your head when you go to make a shot? Well, I mean, you know, like, like we did the demonstration of how I get behind the gun. That's kind of my sequence of, of yeah, basically shooting prone, you know, it's like, Hey, my gun's laying there. I'm, I'm directly behind my gun. I'm going to, I'm going to get down to where you know, basically the buttstock's in the middle of my chest, and then I move it over, you know, get ready. It, it's it's not it's probably not as much of a sequence as what you're talking about when you do your bow, but yeah, it, there is kind of a sequence of events. Yeah, yep. it's like okay, good uh, good cheek well, good sight picture. I'm on target, finger on, press, press, press. Yep. Shot goes off. Yep. No, totally understand. Is there anything else you can think of, or should we go get our tattoos now? Uh, <laughs> I got I got some more questions. <laughs> you got some more questions. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where should we go first? Uh, would you say that playing Call of Duty makes you a better operator? I probably tried Call of Duty one time and got my ass kicked so bad as I I I can, I can never play. <laughs> By some so so that girl. was that was one <laughs> of the big things on deployment is like if you weren't operating like you had a night off or something dudes would literally um and, and I'm definitely not a tech geek but they would somehow join every TV in like our little hooch area yeah. and have like I battle bet, royales of Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, with the with the split screen, you know, yeah. fifteen people on a split screen. I'm like, yeah. what the hell are you guys looking at, man? I can't even I can't even follow what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. So so, I mean, answer. I feel like kind of like strategy and like where to how to use the map. I'm, I don't really. Pl- I'm not a gamer. I I was it's, in college for a little bit. Like but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I, yeah. I guess maybe you could learn some uh, you know some some tactics from Call of Duty. Yeah. I, the consequences are, are little, are little lower, I but I don't know. So, yeah, all right. So the thing is, like, you don't you don't need any of these courses. Screw that. Yeah, just, just play Call of Duty. Duty. <laughs> they, they do have snipers on Call of Duty too, right? They do. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can swap out your rifle pretty. It's a lot quick. easier to be good at doing it on there too. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to pick life. up your brass. You don't have to pick up your brass. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you just respawn if you yeah. get shot. You don't even have to put boots on. It's pretty nice. I got another question for you. What do you got? In a shit hits the fan situation, how many rounds of ammunition would you personally have on hand? So I this question. Let me preface the question. Rephrase that one here. I know people that have like thousands of rounds of ammunition stashed in their basement, but these people aren't military trained. And my mindset is always like, if you get in a situation (laughs) where you're shooting more than like two magazines, you're screwed. 
like in that situation, I want to get the heck out of any sort of conflict and not have to shoot very many rounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I look at it and, 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 and I'm, I'm probably one of those weirdos that you're talking about. Well, it's fair I, for you because you can I, actually probably use, I look at it uh, in two ways is one, you might not know how many people you need to shoot, right? So yeah. having, having more rounds is probably better. And then the other thing is in a shit hits a fan situation, bullets are going to be like gold. That's so true. if you have a chicken and I have bullets <laughs> Your and you fun. need bullets, I'd be like, hey, that chicken looks pretty good, man. You want 10 <laughs> rounds for that chicken? So you could, you know you could barter with your or you uh, shoot point. the chicken and you got <laughs> you got food yeah. too. <laughs> That's just always bothered me for some reason. Just guys just stockpiling ammo that it's like you're not a you're not a Navy SEAL sniper. You're in the wrong room, it, Drew. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just you that doesn't have yeah. that. I think it's just you. I mean, I have I, I have, have these somehow. Everybody else here is like well, that's not normal. Yeah. They don't have. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you? Uh, so, it, being a Navy SEAL, I'm assuming that you're privy to. Well, hey, let, let me back that up. I'm I'm actually retired. I don't know if we ever if yeah, we ever brought. Oh, we, I did. Okay, yeah. So I retired two years ago. Okay. Uh, did you ever experience aliens being a Navy SEAL? Because you were a pilot as well. <sighs> so you were a sub. You drove yeah. submarines. You're a sniper and you're a pilot. So so <laughs> I might have seen some underwater. Aliens by being delirious or being hypothermic. Yeah. So so there's there's a chance I've seen some underwater aliens. As a pilot, I've never seen uh, UFOs or anything. I mean, yeah, none of that stuff. And probably even if I did, I probably couldn't tell you. So. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah. Kind of just negates all my other questions. Then. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about the aliens. I can't tell you. You know, if I if I did know yeah. about aliens, uh, I probably couldn't tell you. So okay, fair enough. That's all I got. Okay, all that's right. it. We're ending on aliens. <laughs> yeah. I think what what is one thing that the average gun owner slash hunter can do to improve their shooting, their everyday shooting? What is the biggest mistake you've seen over your time? That you can leave people to practice at home or to. I think probably one of the best things, and this goes from pistol, carbine, even to sniper rifles, is to dry fire. Yeah, it's, yeah, just to dry fire. You don't, you don't need to spend um, money on bullets or money going to a range or anything like that. I mean, you can dry fire in your living room, you know. That goes, once again, from pistol to carbine to even your sniper rifle just getting behind your gun going through the basics and and dry firing what about shooting like a small cat like a 22 or something like yeah, that yeah yeah i mean that yeah that don't mix the two don't dry fire 22s unless your manual says you can dry fire yeah. 22s oh, really yeah or i'll fix it for you and charge you lots of money huh Okay. But I, regular guns are see, almost I just all regular. I fire guns. my bow over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that works. That's how you got well. so good? Yeah, that's how I got so good. <laughs> that's, so pistol shooting, like I was terrible pistol shot. I'm still not great, but I'm a lot better because I literally spent hours and hours of just watching that front sight and getting it to break where that front mm -hmm. sight didn't 
dip down every time it broke. Yeah, dry dry farm. And that's right. yeah, so yeah. dry farm. Yeah, that's you, the first thing when I just bought when I just bought a new ten millimeter to take to Alaska. That's what <laughs> what Kurt was telling me. He's like, just sit there and just feel that trigger out and just learn it and yeah, just well, sit once there. again i mean it, it sounds it, it it sounds stupid but you got to be intimate with your trigger pistol rifle whatever you, you got to know your you got to know your trigger you got to know when it's going to break all that stuff right yeah um yeah i like the and and this probably goes for um pistol shooters rifle shooters all of it the, the best in the world dry fire all the time that's how they become the best in the world is is by dry firing and are you i mean are you literally just like sometimes i have my pistol in my truck and if i'm on a long drive i'll take the magazine out and just sit there cock it dry fire are you talking about just dry firing with really without focusing on like form and aiming or are you no, no 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 you're no, going no, through no. drill yeah you're going through drills okay. yeah there's that I mean, you can go on the internet and, and find, you know, a million dry fire pistol drills, like, you know, like those little pasties that we, you know, we shot to side in, you know, put it, put a pasty on the wall at start at three yards, you know, and I'm talking about with a pistol. Yeah. Um, th- there's other drills with a rifle, like even just getting in those non-standard shooting positions and dry firing in those non-standard shooting positions it's going to make you a hundred times better. Mm-hmm. I was, I was thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, you said with the 22, like all I want to do now, since I know I can't just do this every day, although I wish I could like my 22, I'm just going to be shooting in these kind of positions all right. the time now, just practicing. Like, how do I get in this awkward position? How do I get it as stable as possible? And, and, in my, you know, twisted brain, twisted gun brain is, you know, I built that six, five, so now I want, I want to build a 22 exactly like that 65 so I can shoot you know shoot 22 yeah you know not not that I'm I'm wasting 65 ammo but it's cheaper you know so I could have a gun that's exactly like a hunting gun or you know a replica of a bigger caliber that I could you know yeah go outside and and shoot and practice with yeah I had a I had a guy in the podcast a, a while back that named michael shea he wrote a book about 22s and he was telling me you know because when i was ready when i first got my brigara i think and he's like you can get basically a replica of that in a 22 and just practice shooting that so you can just like get the feel for it and just kind of plink and go through and just and get good at it yeah but But, once again i mean you don't you don't even have to do that you can dry fire too do you you have to wear face paint when you dry fire yes okay (laughs) <laughs> in a ghillie suit. Yeah, in a ghillie suit. <laughs> okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure I had all the gear. <laughs> Anything else, Drew? I don't think so. No, that's all I got. Okay. Well, any anyone that's uh, anyone that's listening, you can find Guardian Precision right now on Instagram. And if by the time this comes out, if there's anything else, throw it in the intro as far as and in the show notes where they can find everything that had to do with this course because man, it's been it's been really, really fun the last yeah. couple of days of getting to getting to learn from you guys and just shoot and like I just can't put enough emphasis on just being around you guys and getting to hang out and ask questions and just everything that 
comes comes along with something like this and the experience and the, even just the other guys that you get to be with and in these types of scenarios yeah, are just absolutely. It's so awesome. Yeah. No matter the experience level. Like yeah. it is yeah. everybody picks something up. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I I've told you this, but I think just like a big part of this experience is is getting to be to hang out with guys like you that have thirty years of experience in the military at the top level, going through sniper school, instructing sniper school. And just being being around you from someone from my level of just inexperience with rifles, like I absorbed a lot more than you probably realize, literally just watching you. And so um, I think that's extremely valuable. You know, it, it takes just a little bit of an instruction and just like being around in that environment and be, being able to ask questions and literally just, you know, you watching us shoot a couple of times and be like, hey, just try try this, tweak this a little bit. And it's, you know, something as small as that can make a huge difference. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Once again, it was, it was awesome. It yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Now, and, and now you can look in all of our, our Instagram bios and it'll say seal trained sniper. <laughs> um, so, uh, just so you know. with, with tattoos, yeah. tattoos. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll have a full sleeve here by the time I fly home tomorrow. Awesome. So it'll be awesome. henna, but it'll be, yeah. We'll be good. <laughs> all right. Well, Tuan, thank you for hey, my yeah, thank everything. You. Once again, it was great. Yeah. It was a good time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.